0: Previously, on Hate No More.
1: We see this guy, and he's beating on this girl.
0: You're listening to a man who went by the nickname Casper.
1: So I run up and I shoved him, and he pulls out a a lock blade buck knife.
0: This is the story of how, after being locked up for homicide, he got drawn into the white supremacy movement.
1: So I tell him, if you come at me with that knife, I'm going to kill you.
0: But most importantly... It's about how and why he ultimately left the white supremacy movement, and how he started helping others leave as well.
1: They sent me to Trenton State Prison when I was 20 years
0: old. Everyone in Trenton knew him as the kid who'd thought he was going to be a pro fighter, and they didn't think he looked that impressive. For prison, I'm kinda small. One member of the Nation of Islam, a man who, oddly enough, went by the nickname Rosie, came to his cell to intimidate him and steal from him. And told me, hey,
1: When I come back, you're going to have half of my canteen order ready for me to pick up, or I'm going to take it all. And he walked away.
0: Rosie must have expected Casper to be scared. But even if Casper was scared, his fear was nothing compared to his anger. He snapped, and he got ready to fight. And not just to fight, but to kill. Violence begets violence. When Rosie walked away, Casper was left staring at his bags of commissary items. Cigarettes, matches, and cans of soup and soda. He thought about what he should do before Rosie returned, how he could avoid being a victim. And as he thought, he realized he had the tools to make a weapon right there in front of him.
1: And I took a can of grape soda. I downed that pretty quick. And I got my toenail clippers out and cut the top of the can off, you know, pulled the top off. And I, right where, I like, I don't know if you've ever noticed, older cans, you could see where the seam was. And I split it right down that seam, and then I peeled the bottom of it off. And I took that can from corner to corner, and I started to roll it flattened it out with one of my boots and I got a piece of aluminum about that long you know and it had little ridges on it
0: he held his fingers about eight inches apart to show me the length of rolled up aluminum he'd made it would serve as the blade of a shank
1: and I melted that onto the end of my toothbrush and again this is back in 1992 now you know prison still had regular sized toothbrushes they don't they don't do that anymore
0: at this point, I stopped him to ask how you melt a toothbrush when you're in prison.
1: I took a pack of matches and heated up the plastic and melted it in there. Somebody told me they, they use lighters in prisons now. I don't know. Back when I was in prison, if you got caught with a lighter, you were going to the hole. But they would sell you a box of matches on commissary.
0: I can't help but be impressed by Casper's ingenuity. I don't know whether he came up with the toothbrush idea on his own, but he did later tell me that prison is like graduate school for criminals. When you get there, older inmates take you under their wing and say, here are five different ways to make a shank. Here's how you make a tattoo gun. In any case, he still wasn't done.
1: Then I ripped a a strip down the side of my sheet, wrapped that around there to thicken up the handle, you know, give give me something to grab a hold of. You know, so I had this, this uh, fabric handle with a piece of aluminum of about that long sticking out of it with little ridges all the way down it from where I had folded it.
0: With that, Casper was ready.
1: Well, this guy came back to my cell and I had it sitting down alongside my leg. And I'm looking at, the, at my cell doors, which were all bars back then,
0: Casper takes a minute to explain to me how all the doors open and close when it's time for inmates to go to the yard or the chow hall. And since it was mealtime, his door would be open when the other inmates got back from eating.
1: So all the doors are open, and this guy comes up to my cell, and he was like, hey, you got my commissary? I said, yeah, come on in here and get it, tough guy. And he looked at me, and he's like, what, you really think I'm playing? And this is a big dude, you know, he's, I don't know, 230, 240. And this guy, he comes in my cell, and he went to grab a hold of me, and I pulled that thing out and just swung as hard as I could and hit him right underneath of his ribs. And when I did, I, I made sure I, I hit it point first, and then I just shoved it as hard as I could across his stomach and slid him wide open. And I just seen the look on his face, and he just grabbed himself, and he's— trying to hold everything in there and he just backs up and all he could do was grunt and he backed up out of my cell and started trying to go towards the front of the tier I guess to get to the the officer station and he he falls about three cells away so he's laying out there and he's just bleeding you know and I hear hear the cops screaming lock down lock down everybody lock down now you on know, the bell starts going off and it's like, yep, you know, here comes the, here comes the response team, you know, the goon squad, as we used to call them. And I start tearing apart this shank. I got to get rid of the evidence now, you know. So I break the, you know, the, the metal part off, whip that down to tear. Now I got, you know, a piece of bloody rag in my hand from trying to break the, you know, that off of there. Plus I got the handle of this thing. So I start pulling all the sheet and everything off of there. I whip the toothbrush down the other end of the tier. I start hitting the button on my toilet. Now, toilets back then in prison, I I had one of the newer toilets. They were um, air pressure toilets. And these things will swallow damn near anything. So I start flushing all these pieces of sheet down my toilet. You know and it's sucking them right on down and they're just disappearing i'm like great you know evidence is gone and i slam my door you know i, I grab one of the bars and wham and i lock my cage you know so as soon as i lock my my cell door i look down at the floor and you can just see this trail of blood coming out of my cell going down to tear and i'm like damn it <laughs> i'm going to the hole <laughs> because there was no way I was cleaning up that mess. You know, it was, it was bad.
0: The trail of blood led the corrections officers straight to Casper's cell, and they came and took him away. He had been right. They did put him in the hole, a detention cell. That was where he would wait to find out how he would be punished, and where he would begin finalizing his plans to found his own gang. This is Hate No More. The story of one man's journey into and out of violent white supremacy. I'm Henry Rambo. As it turned out, Rosie survived. And that was a good thing for Casper, because otherwise he would have faced another homicide trial. Even so, I didn't understand how an inmate could do something like that and not be charged with a crime. So I asked him.
1: New Jersey was different back then. If you didn't kill somebody you probably weren't going to get street charges you know it was all going to be institutional charges
0: that meant the prison would handle the incident internally there would be no trial no conviction added to your criminal record and no additional prison time instead after a brief hearing officials would decide on a suitable punishment such as solitary confinement and that's what happened in casper's case
1: i spent uh 16 months in the whole well I say I spent um, 20 days in the hole, and then the rest of that 16 months I was in administrative segregation.
0: I looked up administrative segregation to understand how it compares to solitary confinement. It turns out they're the same thing. The National Institute of Justice describes ADSEG as follows. Administrative segregation typically involves single cell confinement for 23 hours daily. Inmates are allowed one hour out of the cell for exercise and showers. There's an even more isolated level of confinement called administrative detention status, which is what Casper was referring to when he said he spent 20 days in The Hole. I asked him what it was like, and he said it wasn't as bad as he imagined it would be.
1: I had these images of old prison movies where they were going to just stick me in a box underground somewhere. You know and i would come out in a couple of months and be like oh the sun you know and yeah that's not what it's like um basically they just put you in a, a an empty cell you're not allowed to have your commissary you know your tv or radio if you have things like that you're just sitting in this cell and every day they come around and they'll let you get a shower you're not allowed to use the phone or go to yard or go to the chow hall or anything. It's not that bad. Um, it, it's boring as all hell. But that's about it.
0: As for administrative segregation, Casper kind of liked it.
1: To me, ad seg's not that bad. Once you're on ad seg status, you're allowed to get all your commissary back. You're allowed to have all your cigarettes, all your food. You're allowed to get your TV and your radio. You're just stuck in your cell pretty much 23 hours a day. You come out for a shower and you come out to to go to a little fenced in yard area three times a week. This was my first time in Ad Seg and I was like, well, shit, this ain't bad, you know? <laughs> I have separated from everybody. It's kind of quiet. You know, I have an actual door on my cell instead of bars. This isn't too bad. If I need to use the phone, I just put my name on a list for a certain time and they bring the phone right to my cell. They do everything for you. All you have to do is stay in your cell. And I'm like, I can do this.
0: It's said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. This was especially true of Casper as he languished in solitary confinement for all those months after cutting Rosie. Being locked up by himself for 23 hours a day, he had nothing to do but eat, work out, and write.
1: One thing they do let you have while you're in detention, they give you paper and a pencil, and you're allowed to have one religious book and one non religious book.
0: He says he wrote an enormous number of letters during that time letters to Johnny and Barron. Chris and Bobby, and also the prominent white supremacist and convicted terrorist, David Lane.
1: Johnny and Barron introduced me to not face-to-face or whatever, but introduced me to the writings and stuff of David Lane. I start writing to him while he was in Leavenworth Penitentiary. And I wrote him a lot. I was writing this guy two, three times a week. And we kind of hit it off.
0: To get those letters sent, Casper would slip them to one of the inmates who delivered his meals, another skinhead named Matty.
1: Matty would run our letters back and forth. He would bring notes from Johnny and Baron. you know, hey, how you doing down there? Do you need anything? Let us know what's going on. And I'd write to Johnny and Baron, and say, you know, hey, things are great, and I send this letter out to David Lane. They would then take the letter, send it to someone else you know, from home and have that person send it to David Lane because federal prisoners were not allowed to be in contact with other prisoners.
0: Officials had good reason for isolating Lane from other prisoners. At the time, he and his affiliates were laying the foundation for the Votensfolk movement and were mounting a campaign to indoctrinate inmates all over the country with white supremacist propaganda. Casper was one of those inmates.
1: He had talked about You know, this whole pseudoscience evolution thing with the white race being the only true humans and we need to fight for the existence of our race because we're being wiped out. They're trying to exterminate us, blah, blah, blah.
0: When Casper told Lane that he and his friends wanted to start their own white supremacist gang in New Jersey, Lane not only encouraged him, but offered to sanction them.
1: I didn't know what that meant at the time. You know, he told me, If we sanction you, if Aryan Brotherhood sanctions you, that means anybody touches you, we can get involved, and they have to deal with us. I'm like, oh, okay, sounds good.
0: Emboldened by Lane's support, Casper and the others moved forward with their plan and founded State Prison Skinheads, or SPS for short. In the meantime, since Casper had stabbed Rosie... Other members of the Nation of Islam were looking for an opportunity to take revenge on him.
1: Prison is, you cut one of ours, we kill one of yours. You kill one of ours, we kill 10 of yours.
0: Prison officials knew this, and in hopes of preventing a bloodbath, they transferred Casper from Trenton to East Jersey State Prison, which the inmates all called Rawway. Being in a different prison didn't really protect him though.
1: Even though they sent me to Rawway, NOI members can still get a hold of other NOI members and tell them, hey, that's the guy that cut Rosie, you know, take care of that.
0: Being in solitary confinement, however, did afford him some protection. Anyone who wanted to retaliate would have to go after his friends instead.
1: If they couldn't get to me because I'm in ad seg, I'm in a hole, it's a little harder to get to me. They're going to go after Johnny, Barron, and Bobby. Well, Bobby was the first one they tried to go after. Um, I don't know all the details. I don't know how many people were involved, but they were going to try and shank him in the yard.
0: Casper thinks that either someone warned Bobby or he was just so aware of his surroundings that he saw them coming. Either way, he was ready.
1: Bobby walked over to the weight pile and he grabbed a five-pound dumbbell and was acting like he was you know, doing an exercise with it. And when they came at him, he used that five-pound dumbbell and just started laying people out with his five-pound weight in his hand until the cop up in the tower fired a warning shot and told everybody to get on the ground and told him, you're going to drop that weapon or I'm going to shoot you. And Bobby laid down and said, hey, no problem, man. I was just out here defending myself.
0: The incident put Bobby in the hole too and added even more fuel to the fire.
1: So now word gets out. Bobby just took out however many there were. I Honestly, I don't know if there was two, three, four. I I don't really know. But word got out that he had messed up these NOI guys that were coming to stab him. Johnny and Baron hear about this going on in the other yard and are like, oh, they're coming after us. Okay. We're going to get to them before they get to us.
0: There are inmates who try to stay out of trouble, hoping to log as much good time as possible, qualify for parole, and go home early. Johnny and Barron were not among them.
1: They already had mega amounts of state time. Um, Barron had three different counts of bank robbery. Uh, Johnny, you know, was his co defendant, so he had three counts of bank robbery, all kinds of weapons charges. So these guys got all kinds of stay time. Plus, they already have federal convictions and are looking at more federal convictions. So they didn't care. They're like, we already know we're never going home.
0: The sense of having nothing to lose made them even more dangerous than they already were. In their minds, no act of war was off the table.
1: They picked out one of the higher up NOI members. And they were on the same block together. Um, I think they were like two or three cells apart. So they waited for the cop to come around with the list for showers. You know, he'll go door to door, kind of walking real fast, shower, shower, shower. And you gotta be right there saying, yeah. And he'll mark you off as he's walking by. Both of them get on the shower list. This guy said, yeah. So they come out for the shower. And I guess they walked out with their freaking, you know, shanks either under their towels or wrapped up in a washcloth, whatever, I don't know. They got in the shower with this dude and they stabbed him up and bad. Um, they didn't kill him, but they they did a number on him. They rearranged his whole face and pretty much put the word out, you know, yeah, SPS did this. Keep coming for us. See what happens.
0: The goal of SPS wasn't just to fight other gangs, though. David Lane had encouraged Casper and the others to expand their vision. To build not just a prison gang, but an organization that would significantly advance the white supremacy movement.
1: We had decided we're not going to be just a typical prison gang and, you know, just band together and be all about making money and everything like that. We're going to do this to create actual unity and try and Build people up, you know, and tell them, hey, look, this is to strengthen you in here for, for hopefully, eventually, helping people on the outside become stronger white people so we can expand our race and get our country back, you know, and regain the white world.
0: With this goal in mind, they wrote what essentially amounts to a two-part mission statement what they called their microcosmic and macrocosmic objectives
1: microcosmic objective is basically you know help your fellow members in sps and fellow white people in your community um, better themselves through you know education um, health-wise you know find that warrior spirit again Macrocosmic objective would be to expand the white race and take over all of known white America, you know, or the white world, not even America, you know, take back Europe, you know, uh, fulfill manifest destiny, basically. Yeah. You know, um, God, I can't believe I ever pushed that. But I was. I was serious about it. That's it's one thing about me. If I, if I go into something, it's, it's all in, you know, it's a hundred percent full speed ahead. You know, let's get it done. And yeah, when I made that decision to start SPS, it was, it was full bore, you know, we're, we're going to do this and man, it, it grew, it grew fast. Um, I I got a lot of people to, to patch up with us.
0: To patch up means to join the gang, and more specifically, to get the SPS tattoo, which Casper and his friends designed together.
1: We came up with our own patch. It's a Celtic cross. I don't know if you can see that.
0: Casper rolls up his sleeve to show me one of his many tattoos. The one he points to covers most of his right bicep.
1: In the arms of the cross, you have a sowillo, a perthro, and a sowillo, the Celtic runes, SPS.
0: I ask him who gave him the tattoo and he chuckles.
1: I actually did that one on myself.
0: It turns out he did quite a few tattoos on himself and others. His father was a tattoo artist as well, so you could say it runs in the family. Casper says a lot of people ask him why he doesn't get it covered up now that he's left.
1: I probably will cover up all of my other white supremacy tattoos except for that one. And I'm going to keep that one because if I ever have to sit down and talk to some young kid and tell them that hey, I've been there, you know, I I probably forgot more about it than you'll ever know. I can show them that patch because This one is very significant. Number one, it's originally drawn, it's mine, and there's no other one like this. It's not on the internet, you know, and if you look close enough at it, there is a swastika right in the dead center of it.
0: According to Casper, only the founding members of SPS were allowed to have that swastika in their patch.
1: If anybody else has an SPS patch with a Celtic cross and a swastika in the middle of it, they're a liar. And they're liable to get their entire tattoo sliced off of their body if they don't get dead over it.
0: Casper says that originally, the only other founders were Johnny, Baron, and Chris. Bobby was given the status of honorary founder later on. They pictured SPS as a tree that started with them and would branch out as they recruited new members. With this image in mind, they dubbed themselves First Tree Members. Members who joined later on would be required to memorize their recruitment lineage all the way back to one of the founders, and they had to be prepared to recite it at any time. They called this pronouncing your tree.
1: Anybody after us had to pronounce their tree to somebody if they were questioned. What's your tree? My tree is Casper, which was my nickname back then, or, you know, Baron. Now say you're somebody who was recruited five generations later. You have to go back through all of them people. My name is whatever through this person, this person, this person, and Casper.
0: I ask what SPS thinks of him now that he's left, and whether members still trace their lineage back to him today. He can only tell me what he's heard.
1: Oh, I, I'm a race trader. You know, now they will still mention Casper. They'll trace it all the way back. But when they get to my name, they're like the trader Casper.
0: Their lineage wasn't the only thing they had to memorize. Before anyone could become a patch holder, they had to go through a 90 day probation period. And
1: part of that probation period is you have to memorize all this stuff. We had our 14 rules of Aryan conduct.
0: This was a set of rules, generally attributed to David Lane, that are officially called the 14 Codes of the Aryan Ethic. The number 14 was chosen to match Lane's infamous 14 words, giving the number 14 a sort of religious significance in the white supremacy movement. The list is about a page long, and includes elements of Odinism, as well as exhortations to be noble and courageous, and to protect and advance the white race. At the end of their probation period, prospective members would sit for a final exam of sorts, which consisted of reciting the 14 rules from memory, while a senior member listened to make sure they got the wording right. Casper himself always looked at the written list when he was testing someone.
1: I didn't really memorize most of it because I was like, I started it. I don't have to remember a damn thing.
0: <laughs> Once the prospective finished reciting the rules, the member administering the test would tell them.
1: Cool. You're in. Here's what we, we have designed for you know our patch. It doesn't have to be exactly like mine as long as it's a Celtic cross and has SPS in it. Get that put on your body somewhere.
0: Of course, merely memorizing the rules wasn't enough. You had to follow them. If you broke one, other members would band together to sanction you, and that could entail anything from charging you a fine in the form of a carton of cigarettes to beating you in the shower. I asked Casper to tell me stories of people getting sanctioned, and the first one he thought of was when he got in trouble for talking to his childhood friend, No Good. The other members of SPS weren't happy to see him being friendly with a black inmate, and so this time, Instead of banding together to attack a rival gang member, they banded together to attack Casper. We'll hear more about that, next time, on Hate No More. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment right now, yes, now, to rate it, review it, and share it. To support us and get immediate ad-free access to all episodes, go to patreon.com slash hate no more, or click on the link in the show notes. Hate No More was written and produced by me, Henry Rambo. Sound design was provided by Michael Parkhurst at Nostalgic Innovations. Special thanks to my wife, and to Ryan, Allison, George, and, of course, Casper. Finally, there's more than enough outrage and hate in the world already. If you log onto social media at all today, instead of sharing what upsets you, do what you can to make kindness and empathy go viral. We all need to play a higher game. And with that, thank you for listening.